Our guest on this episode is a startup aficionado. He is currently the co-founder and chief growth officer of SEO, which helps entrepreneurs launch, manage, and grow their businesses through service and software-based solutions. SEO's mission is to inspire independence, innovation, and entrepreneurship. Kyle lives that mission by teaching startup knowledge to underserved high school communities in Southern California and was the winner of the 2017 Leatherby Center for Entrepreneurship and Business Ethics Award. As with any true entrepreneur, they go through a series of failures before finding breakthrough success. Today, Kyle is going to share with us how he figured out he was going to set himself on this path of entrepreneurship and how his failures have led him to be successful. If you could give a TED Talk, what would it be about? Well, first of all, Rebecca, I think that's an awesome question. And if I were to give a TED Talk, it would be uh, a, a speech that I've given before, but I think it, it needs a lot of elaboration. So I've given this speech for about a year now called Beyond the Box, Seeing the World Like an Entrepreneur. And I believe that there are three core problems facing our society today. Automation, artificial intelligence, sort of in one, political instability, and environmental degradation. But I do believe that every problem we face as a society can be solved by entrepreneurship. And so a lot of what I end up talking about is the fact that being an entrepreneur isn't necessarily defined by owning a business or being a CEO or necessarily even being the founder in a company. Being an entrepreneur represents something much greater. It's a philosophical shift we must take to be more open, more solution oriented. And I think above all, to really be willing to define and find problems where the rest of the world typically just looks the other way. That's the sign to me as an entrepreneur. And if we all adopt that mindset, then to me, those three problems will be solved quite oh, excellent, quickly. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so before you did what you're doing now, mm -hmm. you started in music. That's right. Talk a little bit about your background there and how did that end up transitioning into entrepreneurship? Well, you know, ever since I was probably 11, 12 years old, I had these two incredible forces in my life, my mother and my father. And my mom was this incredibly hard worker. And my father always had to do something you love. And so the other, it was an interesting balance, but I think as we all know, those two concepts represent the formula for entrepreneurship. And so as I progressed amongst my young life, uh, I had kind of hearkened upon the words of my dad, who always said, like I said, to find something you love and to do it, make money doing it. And I said, okay, dad, I love music. And so I said, I'm gonna find a way to pursue music. And my mom said, work hard. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna work hard in music. And that then sprouted into this idea of kind of building my own brand. And slowly that over time evolved into this idea of this artist collective blog that I started called Wings to the Minds, derived from this awesome quote that I've always loved from one of my favorite philosophers, Plato. Uh, and then that evolved over time into recognizing that, you know what, I don't need just a brand, I don't need just a voice online, I want to be able to stand on my two feet as a CEO and a founder. And so when that thought came to me, Beats for Better came to life. And Beats for Better's purpose initially was to provide a platform for young independent artists who were looking to get their, their talents out to the world. And so I wanted to do everything I could, could to support them ultimately. So I created this concert production company. We put on shows left and right in LA. And throughout that all, I started to realize, man, this lifestyle of being an independent, innovative entrepreneur was something that I wanted to embrace for the rest of my time. Mm -hmm. So do you actually play a musical instrument? 
You know, that's a funny question that people always bring up to me. Do you play a musical instrument? I think the reason that I wanted to go into music so bad was because I've never been, to, like, instrumentally inclined. I've never had the ability to play any musical instrument. I've tried. And granted, my parents started me on a trombone, um, which was not a great starting point. You probably just started a piano or a guitar Ooh, yeah. uh-huh. or something more <laughs> simple than that. Uh, but I decided to go with the trombone. Uh-huh. And I think... In that moment, it was like, nope, not going to ever be able to play an instrument, but I'm still always going to be surrounded by music. There was just something about music that always spoke to me. I came from a hardcore musical family. Both my mother, her sister, her mom were all involved in musical theater. So I've always had you know, a, a natural inclination to be on stage and to be performing around people who were talented at playing instruments. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it was just like, okay, of course I have to pursue music. I don't care if I can't play an instrument. Let's just do this thing. Of course. So it seemed like you're more kind of like a facilitator around organizing because you said you did organize musical events and whatnot and that was your way to kind of keep your touch point with the musical world i'm i like to think that i'm an orchestrator of the orchestra Ooh, right? i like that i like to see people directed towards their passions i like uh-huh. to be able to provide the systems so that they can live out whatever they've dreamed of and they can do it in a really streamlined and effective way and that's what i've done since I was a little kid. It was necessarily about it was it was not necessarily about me being the super talented person. It was about finding the talented people and giving them a platform in which they could express their talent. Gotcha. So you mentioned your mother that she helped instill the value of hard work. Mm-hmm. How about your father? How did he kind of influence your your path towards entrepreneurship? So my dad's a fascinating guy um, and someone I really look up to because he has been involved in nonprofits his whole life. So he's sacrificed opportunities to have that big fancy salary, the fancy car, the fancy house. He provided in incredible ways for my family, but he pursued this life in philanthropy because he always wanted to give back. Uh, And to me, that was something that he ingrained in me since I was a little kid. And so I said to myself, whatever I do in my life, let's make sure that I leave this life with some impact on the world. And even if it just means impacting one person, then I know that I at least did something so that my tombstone can read something different than just the years I was alive, but hopefully the impact that I made during those years. Mm -hmm. So after you started Wings to the Mind, uh, how did that transition into your next enterprise and what did you take from that into your next venture? I think the biggest thing I realized is that it was really possible to have a voice. And I recognized, I didn't really know at the time that it was entrepreneurship that was giving me that voice, but I knew that by creating some platform, some online persona, I could influence people in the way I wanted to and in the way that I believed they needed to be influenced. And so Wings to the Mind just taught me, okay, you can do something on your own, you can build something personal that means something to you, and you can also have it impact others. Just the basic framework of entrepreneurship, Wings to the Minds gave me that, and then that, again, evolved into everything else that came after. Mm-hmm. Usually with every entrepreneur, your first venture, your first feat that's actually somewhat successful is just really builds up your confidence and it mm-hmm. makes you realize that you don't necessarily realize what you're doing at first always like right. you said but right. once you do it and you're, you've done it you realize oh wow I could do that that's yeah. amazing yeah. Let's, let's have some more of this yeah, yeah it's yeah. almost it's almost like an addiction like totally. where, where's the next thing gonna come totally. from totally yeah and it was just super funny I mean we can dive into this more deeply but I was balancing that whole journey in entrepreneurship with a corporate life and I was like constantly recognizing wow, independent ventures that actually mean something to me are so much more fun. Uh And I wanted to spend the extra hour or two or three or four or five uh, that was needed to create that thing because I knew that it was coming from me. Mm -hmm. There was nobody telling me how I should craft my passion. It was me taking my passion and figuring out how to craft it. Mm -hmm. And so how did you, a lot of people end up doing that, balancing a corporate life with a kind of a side hustle. How How did you balance that and how did you not just 
physically with time management, but how did you balance it in your mind? There was always uh, conflicting passions and desires, and and how did you how did you just manage that overall yeah, world? That's a great question. Um, this is something we talk about constantly within our company because we've got a bunch of kids who are either college dropouts, recent college graduates, or still in college. And the question is, how do you balance you know, your entrepreneurial, this amazing entrepreneurial life you live with all the other stuff you kind of just feel like you have to do? And for me, and for many of us, it's find a way that no matter what you're doing, it can serve whatever your passion is. So even when I was in those silly little PR marketing roles and internships and whatnot, I was finding ways to take that information or take the relationships I built or take the knowledge that I gained and plug it back into whatever I really wanted to be doing. So ultimately, at the end of the day, they were everything all together was serving one greater purpose. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that we were working, I, I was working, uh, we, as in my, the balance of my two minds, uh, were working together to pursue something specific versus have these two completely different tracks. Gotcha. So would you suggest for someone trying to go into entrepreneurship that, yeah, maybe they have to have a a corporate job, an actual nine to five, that they pursue something that can have a bigger purpose into, or it could be a stepping stone into their path towards entrepreneurship? Yeah. I mean, I think here's the deal. A lot of entrepreneurs don't pursue corporate lives, um, but those that do end up having incredibly successful times as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that nine to fives exist. As much as we want to reject them as entrepreneurs, there's a reason that structure and big corporations are built because they were all once started as startups too. Mm -hmm. So I think if I could take anything and apply it to a young entrepreneur, I would say just try out the corporate thing. Even if it's just an internship, an assistant, working in the mailroom, something silly, give it a shot because I think all of the lessons that you'll learn about how to build an organization for scale can immediately be applied to whatever entrepreneurial venture that you're pursuing. I totally agree with that. For me and my personal corporate experience, it almost kind of alienated me not to even want to go further down that path and it just really solidified my decision. Like I want to go down the entrepreneurial path and that's it. Like there's, I don't need to be in the middle road questioning and deciding which path to pick. It's already kind of helped me decide my path for the rest of my life. So definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like anything else in life. When you get to know the opposite, you realize how much you appreciate whatever you're actually interested in. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't know white if you don't know black. Right? True. You need to understand the other side of the spectrum mm-hmm. and recognize that there is good in the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't necessarily need to just avoid corporate life because you want to not pursue nine to fives. Learn from it. Because again, as I mentioned, those were once startups too. Uh-huh. These big, massive companies, the Disney's, the Apple's, etc. They were once just one person with a great idea. Mm-hmm. And right now, as entrepreneurs, we are all one person with a great idea trying to pursue that ultimately. Mm-hmm. What was the pivot point for you when you decided to transition from working for others to actually working for yourself? There were a lot of pivot points. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, especially someone like me who is so professionally motivated and so ready to go embrace corporate life, it wasn't just going to be one thing that happened where I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just abandon this massive path I've been on for a while. Uh, it was a couple different things that led up to it. I think my experience Beats for Better was huge. Um, my first like legitimate founder CEO role was really fascinating and recognizing how much control I could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then balancing that with the fact that I was in this corporate environment where I felt like I didn't have a lot of control. Uh, so that was a big component. The first tech startup I got involved with, Filter, was a huge component because granted I wasn't the founder CEO, but I got to again see an environment that could be crafted by whatever my vision was. And then finally, I think the biggest pivot point of all, uh, and this is a special shout out to one of my best friends and my co-founder, Austin Stouffer, who I met in college and uh, we were just these 
two strange dudes who were sitting in the front row of every class. And if you notice something about every classroom, the people sitting in the front row, they're a little bit off. There's something going on That's with them. That's so true. Right? <laughs> There's something a little bit different. Uh, and for us, we were a little bit different because we didn't want to be college students. We just wanted to pump out whatever we were doing as quickly as possible so we could get to the next thing. Uh, and then he came to me with this crazy idea of saying, hey, man, uh, I've got this concept to streamline the process of business creation and to help startups start up. And I said, that sounds really intriguing. So, you know, I think with pivot points in life, it's never just like a snap of the fingers that happens one day. It's a slow building process. And even when I said yes to Austin, I'll help you out with this idea and we'll see what we can do with it. It still wasn't like I abandoned corporate life immediately. It was not probably until six months down the road when I really recognized like this is legitimate. I can actually pursue this. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit more analytical in that way. I don't like to just make snap decisions and I encourage that to every entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, recognize an opportunity when it's there and mm-hmm. don't be afraid to pursue it. Of course. And it's funny about pivot points. I kind of agree with you. It's almost like a slow build yeah. and you don't necessarily realize it was a pivot point till after the fact, like totally. in, in retrospect. Totally. A lot of people, entrepreneurs have become successful overnight and it was just like a snap change in their luck or their fortune. And it's hardly even ever that way. It's always a nice, Barely ever. slow, slow build Even the up. greatest entrepreneurs in the world, it mm-hmm. didn't happen like that. Yeah. You knew never, even the even the Instagrams and the Facebooks, it wasn't a snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. It was months and years of incredibly hard work before even the full decision from the founder CEO was, I'm going to pursue this. Mm-hmm. You have to validate not only the idea, but you have to validate the idea of being an entrepreneur to mm-hmm. yourself. Yes, and good things take time, as they say. That's 100%, 100%, <laughs> yeah. How did the way in which you grew up influence your path and lead you to this moment? In retrospect, at everything that influenced me along the way, mm-hmm. uh, I had my parents who were the most direct influences, but I also had some really incredible indirect influences. I have two immigrant, immigrant grandparents who came to the U.S. with almost nothing, and they said to themselves, we're going to find a way. We're going to do this. And lo and behold, only a matter of years later, they both attend Harvard, graduate, uh, they go and start their own businesses. They also work in the corporate world. And they managed to do this with that same grit and resilience they had as immigrants from day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, still a huge appreciation for life, a huge appreciation for the arts, a huge appreciation for the idea of helping humanity grow. Uh, and so having that as a constant force in my life was huge. And then I think the last part that I have to really give some credit to is the community I grew up in. I came from a really interesting place of really unique minds. I mean, of my graduating class, at 20 to 30% of them ended up at an Ivy League school. I mean, these are top level students um, who come from high level families. And so I was always surrounded by success and it set the bar extremely high for me from day one. But the thing was, it was never so much the outer influences that really set the bar for me, they showed me what the bar could be, but I was always the one to say, I'm gonna strive beyond that. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest critic in my own life of me is me. And I think the biggest person that sets bars in my own life is me. I'm constantly the one who's challenging myself to be better. And although people have repeatedly said to me, you need someone to keep you accountable, you need someone to keep you accountable. And I do have those figures. I find that there's no one that's gonna come harder down on myself except Kyle. Of course, of course. It's funny because I just was at um, a talk by Ariana Huffington and she was talking yeah. about 
how she started her blog and how I'm trying to start my publication. And for her, she just had any bloggers out there submitting content to her. And that's how she was able to scale fast. And for yeah. me, that didn't necessarily occur to me. I actually started imposing restraints and constrictions on myself without realizing it. I was thinking, oh, let's have an exclusive set of writers. Mm-hmm. It could be very limited. And I didn't realize till after she spoke, I was like, oh, I'm setting limits on myself. I don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. again, it's like setting your own bars. You kind of, not only the bars, but the box that you live in. And that's so the tricky speak. part about being an entrepreneur. And that is exactly why I have this theory of living beyond the box. I don't think entrepreneurs are meant to live within a defined set of rules because our whole objective is to break the rules or to redefine the rules. And the only way we can do that is if we, number one, humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. We have to bring ourselves back to reality constantly because the allure of entrepreneurship is going to continue to kind of sparkle, but it's never the reality, or at least not instantaneously. And I mean, I think in addition to that, it's about recognizing that you're not perfect at everything. Like I said in that topic of humility and humbleness, we're not that great You know, a lot of the times. A lot of the times we're learning because we're not that experienced in this space. We probably haven't started a business before uh, and there's a lot still to come, but that's when you recognize that number one, uh, this great quote from Steve Jobs, which is, you know, he used to say, I don't hire people to tell them what to do. I hire people for them to tell me what to do. And so by surrounding yourselves with whether it's writers or other great minds or other great influencers and leaders and recognizing that you're going to make a million mistakes along the way, it's so important because whether you like it or not, it will happen. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's also, not only does it take guts, but it's also very humbling to be able to put yourself out there amongst experts and people even high level and make those mistakes in front of them and be okay with it and not be ashamed about it. I think that's, that's huge. And that can definitely deter a lot of people away from yeah and, and I agree so I mean I think the, the corporate hierarchy of accountability is really important to understand how that works and then to try to implement that into your own entrepreneurial ventures is huge even if it's just you you got to have someone who's watching over you uh, even it might be yourself sometimes and that's why I really believe in like uh, creating a very systematic approach to keeping yourself in line is huge um, and then in addition to that like most entrepreneurs are doing this with their best friends or people that are really close to them. So if there's anything that's, that's kept me accountable, uh, it's this idea of like, I do not want to let these people down. These mm-hmm. people are everything to me. These people are the people I spend 12, 14, 16 hours a day with every single day, including weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I make mistakes and they make mistakes too. But we've reached a point in our journey where not only do we keep ourselves accountable for each other, but we're the first ones to say, I'm sorry. And we're the second person, people to say, right after we say, I'm sorry, we grab their hands, we pick them right up, and we say, man, I'm going to fight in the trenches with you no matter where we are or when it is. Mm-hmm. What a powerful driving force that is. It's a really special thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So you s- mentioned before you before you were talking about Beats for Better, which was uh, a venture you had established. Yeah. And um, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned kind of the failures of Beats for right. Better kind of led you to your current endeavor. Mm-hmm. What were the hard lessons that you learned from Beats for Better that you're applying to CEO, your new Mm -hmm. company? I mean, I think the biggest lesson, if I can just have one over-encompassing thought, it's that failure isn't real. I don't believe in failure. I believe failure is real when you refuse to fail forward. And if you treat every single opportunity to fail 
as an opportunity to learn, as an opportunity to grow, then what is failure? To me, failure is just another lesson. And frankly, when we're studying some of the greatest thinkers of our time, we're often studying the mistakes that they made more than we're studying the successes, at least as entrepreneurs, because it's our job to learn how to not walk down that same path again. So on a really operational level, though, with Beats for Better, how did Beats for Better teach me uh, you know, some of the lessons that I've learned today? I think probably the biggest one and something that I'm constantly stressing to young entrepreneurs now is like, pretend that you're a multi-billion dollar company from day one and act like it. Be professional, show up to the office on time, have structured days, have a great task management system, build a legitimate sense of operations because if that day ever comes that you get that investment or you get acquired or your company just takes off and gets a million customers, you need to be ready for that. And if we're not thinking like executives from day one, then do we even deserve that CEO or other C-suite title? Hmm. Very intriguing. I completely agree with that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's difficult, though, honestly. Uh-huh. It's difficult for young entrepreneurs to be really mature because we're kids for the most part. Of course. Right? I feel like we're kids eternally. Just yeah. big kids. <laughs> I totally agree. I always have wanted to write this book called The Never-Ending High School Called Life uh, because I really believe that people have, have difficulty like emotionally evolving post-high school. Um, and a lot of the situations I see myself interacting with, or at least judging um, are situations I used to see when I was a 12th grader. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to challenge yourself as an entrepreneur because it's not always about being a better professional. It's about being a better person. Mm -hmm. And being a better person is hard. It is really hard to be a good person. Mm -hmm. I tell that to people all the time because there's a lot of people in our society who can put on a great face and can represent this awesome image. And then you see behind the curtain and it's a whole other thing. The question becomes, can you live the entrepreneurial way in absolutely everything that you do. It's a challenge, but the greatest ones in the world, that's what they do. How, who was your partner and how did you guys meet? Uh, my business partner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my partner. Just to clarify. <laughs> uh, I don't have a life partner yet, so for all of you that are listening, <laughs> I am single. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, it was the guy that I mentioned earlier. So I, I have a couple really interesting partners. I mean, the first one that ever walked in my life was this awesome guy, Austin Stouffer, um, who is just, he's a legitimate visionary. Uh, he's not always Mr. Operational. He's not always the guy to be banging on the keyboard. But that next big venture that we all pursue collectively is typically thanks to him. Uh, so he's played a huge role in my life. Uh, I've got another great team member named Bennett, uh, Bennett Quintard. You can find him online. He's another huge thought leader. Um, tons of content about him. But he came from a super interesting background where he took a gap year in between high school and college uh, where he traveled to Guatemala and helped to basically serve the underserved youth. Uh, and he learned through that so many interesting lessons that I didn't get the opportunity to learn in my early life that he's now been able to disseminate to me, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, so I've got the visionary, I've got this philanthropic executor, uh, and then I've got another, and by the way, these guys are all my closest friends, uh, and then I've got another awesome guy on our team, Mr. Matt Sandoval, uh, who's our chief creative officer, and he sees the world through an entirely different lens than he was. He sees the world through the creative lens, the lens of design, the lens of art, uh, and He's really expanded my thought process to recognize that not everything is structured and sometimes you do need to break the rules in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can certainly say that our company wouldn't be the same without him. But for me personally, uh, it's really allowed me to, again, think beyond the box because he's someone who has never lived within the box. And that's what makes him such a unique creator. Mm-hmm. It seems like with uh, oftentimes with partnerships, what makes a good partner is someone who can push you to the edge and beyond. Someone who knows you very well and knows your your limits or your comfort zone mm-hmm. and is able to push you out just enough where you can explore but not get too traumatized and want to come back yeah. into your little box again. Yeah. So what would you what would you say 
from your perspective, the secret sauces to all these partnerships? What makes it feel right? Well, I mean, for people that you're directly working with, I think the underlying necessity is that you need to have a personal relationship with these people because you're going to end up stressing together, experience anxiety together, experience failure together, uh, and there needs to be like a really transparent, honest, and respectful line of communication and relationship because you'll not scale otherwise. You'll have a lot of issues that will appear down the line. And how many co-founder disagreements do we hear about that end up leading to the downfall of business? Oh, geez, yes. So, so that's huge to me. Um, but really on like a base level, what makes a great partner and a great fellow founder unique um, is the willingness, like you, I mean, I think you hit a lot of the key points. It's that willingness to know the other person extremely well and then to challenge them beyond. Mm-hmm. Because I've found with, with people specifically, not even entrepreneurs, most of us never reach our potential because we don't know what our potential is because we haven't been pushed to our potential. And so to have people that recognize that, hey, I think you're actually better than what you're doing. I know you're giving 100%, but I bet you could give 150. And let me see if you can actually do that. That makes for a really unique partner. Uh, and then in addition to that, it's never just, and this is something I've been really thinking about a lot lately, is it's never just like the hype. It's never just like, hey, you can be better. It's here's how you be better. Do these things. And I know you will grow in doing so. So great partners and mentors and et cetera in business. It's not always about the Tony Robbins effect of just screaming at thousands of people. It's mm-hmm. about legitimately laying down actionable steps and saying, you can do this, follow these steps, by the end, watch what happens. Oh yeah, it just helps to be able to have people be able to visualize what your potential is and what those possibilities are and they can just lay it out for you very clearly so yeah. it makes it much easier to grasp onto and kind of execute. And that's the kind of leader I want to be. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the type of person I try to be each and every day is when I'm working with someone, um, granted I love public speaking, I love inspiration, I love the kind of stuff that Tony Robbins and Gary Vee, et cetera, do, but I don't think it stops there. I don't think the hype is enough. I think that excitement is cool, passion is cool, but I always reference like these old church camps I used to go to as a kid where you'd go to a camp for like a weekend and it'd be awesome, right? Oh my God, I'm so passionate about God and all these people are great and there's mm-hmm. love and whatever and I'm, I'm gonna be this whole different person. And then one week later, you completely forget that it happens. Oh yeah, and it happens all the time. completely reset. Right? Uh, I don't believe in that. And I believe the way you solve that is through accountability, through structure, through systems, through steps, and taking all of that and actually giving it to someone and saying, here's the secret sauce. I like it. I like it. I also noticed with your team, the diversity of your skills and everything you bring to the table, it seems like you tend to choose friends or choose partners that are able to kind of complement your skill set rather than mirror it, which I think is also very uh, uh, ingredient to success when it comes to to ventures. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I cannot tell you how many teams I see who have all of one. And what I mean by that is they have one or two or three or four or five people that all do the exact same thing and have all the exact same skill sets. Well, that's not a company anymore. Mm -hmm. That's just a group of people who are really good at something. Mm -hmm. And they might be able to build something, but it probably won't be that great. I meet countless teams who have all tech guys, all design, all business strategy, and they're continuously running into issues. Now, sure, you can go outsource a lot of those roles, but at the end of the day, the diversity of skill sets is what makes a team great. Mm -hmm. The diversity of skill sets is what builds a company for scale and Mm -hmm. prepares it for scale. And the diversity of skill sets is how we learn. Mm -hmm. How can I get better if I'm only surrounded by people who think the way I do? I have to have people around me that think differently Mm -hmm. uh, because they allow me to grow in ways that I would have never been introduced to before. So speaking of growing, you specialize in growing and launching ideas into companies. Right. So tell us about a startup you worked with that was wildly successful that 
went beyond your expectations and why do you think that was? We've got a lot. Uh, you know, over the last year of my life, I've gotten to have my hands involved with the founding teams of over 60 different companies. Um, and it's been awesome because all entrepreneurs share really similar traits and it's that they want to see their thing be great and come to life. Uh, the specific one that I can reference today uh, is a good friend of mine named Jam Zoveen. Uh, he wanted to build an app that, by the way, will be released in March of 2018, so keep an eye out for it in the App Store, um, called Divi. And he came to us, uh, he was a guy off of Wall Street, and he had this idea. He said, I want to build a social savings app. I want to incentivize millennials who are not saving to save. And we said, that, that's a pretty cool mission. What do you want to do with that? How does that turn into something? He said, well, I want to build an app uh, where kids and groups of people can all contribute towards one goal. So say you and I are going to uh, Vegas next weekend, and we've got 10 friends that want to go with us, but the room costs us you know, $5,000 for the weekend. Well, we can all chip in towards this one goal. And he's got a bunch of other features that I can't tell you about that will be rolled into that. Um, but when we're talking about success, I define success a lot differently than most people. Some people say success means that you have millions of dollars. Some people, success means that you have tons of influence. Success for me is achieving something that you've set out for yourself. And that is exactly what Jam did. He had this idea, he found the right people, he worked with my team, and within about a three month window, he took that idea and turned it into a real business. A month window after that, he went and raised around a quarter million dollars, which was super impressive. A month later, his product was finished, and now we're in this great stage of actually testing this thing. But you just never see an idea whip out that fast. And typically, ideas to businesses, that's a long, drawn-out process. That can be a year, year and a half, two years, whatever, but not jam. He's a highly, highly strategic thinker. I think his corporate background helped with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we get to see Divi take its way into the world and see the kind of impact it's going to make. Which Sounds is just like a fascinating so cool. app. I would want to use it. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you can check it out, DiviUpNow.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, it'll go live on the App Store in most likely March 2018. Gotcha. So uh, what kind of touch points did you have with DiviUp? What were kind of some suggestions or advice you gave to him that you really you saw kind of a light bulb go off in his head and kind of help facilitate it? I know you mentioned before how you were the orchestrator of the orchestra. How did you do that for his company? Well, Jam was one of those people who literally came to us with just an idea. That was it. And so you have to do a lot of orchestrating at that point. You not only have to validate that idea, strategize the growth of that idea, incorporate that idea, build up the finances for that idea, turn that idea into an actual business at that point, turn that business into a business plan, into a pitch deck, into a website. You gotta get all that stuff out of the way. Mm-hmm. And then when we're talking about orchestrating, now that you've got the bare components out, you have to find people who are also really interested in doing this too. And that's the hardest part with most companies, especially young companies, because they don't always have huge salaries uh, that are that can be offered. They don't typically have you know tons of space on their cap table because founders wanna hold their equity really close to their vest. And so for Jam, it was about, let's tap into your network. We know that you come from this incredible background. We know you've got a million relationships. Like I said, he was able to raise capital much faster than any other entrepreneur I've ever seen. And so we said, let's go find him. And we dug and we were able to find this really unique team of corporate executives who wanted to pick up something on the side and wanted to be able to advise and direct. And they came right aboard Divi. And just like that, now Divi's got this incredible board of strategists who are willing to at least guide Jam. And then all Jam had to do was go find a couple awesome college kids that had a willingness to learn and want to get involved with this whole startup thing. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, we've got this great business. Uh-huh. I met an entrepreneur the other day, and he mentioned to me Angel's List. And yeah. he was able to get like 20 interns working totally. on his project for free. And that's totally. how he's able to start it up. So, yeah, there's a lot of resources out there where you can find yeah. get, uh, 
That's cheap talent, but people, not necessarily because they're cheap, but people who are willing to learn well have that passion that you need to actually drive your project forward. I think, I think that's perfect. Yeah, passion yeah. is what is is the fuel to a startup, at least in the very beginning. Totally. You, you need it. <laughs> There's very little motivating forces in an early stage startup. Mm-hmm. If you're not passionate about the idea, if you don't love the mission, if you don't love the team, you're probably not going to want to work there. Mm-hmm. Because all of the typical corporate incentives are completely thrown out the window. Uh, and I agree. I don't think that when you're looking at like an unpaid intern, you're saying, hey, intern, come do dirty work for me. It's like, no, no, no. Learn from me. Work with me. Mm-hmm. Guide me. At the end of the day, when you have a founding team of a company, especially a company that's under a year old, nobody is really anything. Titles don't mean anything. It just means you have one person with a cool idea and a bunch of people who agree that it's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. That's all it really is. Everything else is completely irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs can overspend on marketing to get their brand out there. What are some pitfalls that they can avoid? Some do's and some don'ts. How much do they need for a typical marketing budget if they want to launch? Well, I will give a first an awesome piece of insight from CEO. Uh, we've been around for over about a year and a half now, and we've spent less than four figures in marketing because we've found that you don't really need it. If you can effectively communicate and brand a concept or an idea, that is the biggest step you need to take. Because I can go on Facebook all day. I can go on Google AdWords all day. But if I'm directing people to something that does not attract them or does not get them to stick, they will leave instantly. In fact, we live in this time now where I think people have the attention span of like a goldfish. It's like seven seconds. And so you have to capture them with who you are first. If you can't capture them with that, then they're gone. Now, if you're talking about marketing on a real operational level, what it takes, I first of all am a big believer in flipping the script and looking at traditional means of advertisement as a legitimate form of advertising because it's like the hipster effect, right? It's like, okay, everybody's doing one thing, well, let me do the other. And so we've found tons of success with uh, our community, which of course is typically in uh, really sort of saturated areas. So you've got a lot of startups at colleges, you've got a lot of startups at Silicon Beach, Silicon Valley, et cetera. Uh, And we just start putting up flyers, going to networking events, doing it old school, and it worked really well. Yeah, you can pump out some social content here and there, and I think that's important to have. You need to have a brand that is a constant voice, but do you need to pour tons of money into marketing all the time? No. Uh, And when you are ready to pour tons of money into marketing, because I know you asked specifically about a budget, all I typically like to say is if you're going to raise a round of capital, expect 50% of that round to be dedicated specifically to marketing. Because a company is no good if nobody knows what it is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Totally agree. You don't know, if you don't know it exists, then how are you going to find it? (laughs) So I know we talked about a story where a client was wildly successful. Uh, can you share a story of, with us of a client you've worked with that has come the furthest where they had maybe not the coolest or most viable idea, but it actually ended up turning into something surprisingly good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have a great story for that. Uh, and it's funny because there's always a good idea hidden in a bad idea. Uh, and, no, and that's why no ideas are really bad because it's something original, it's something unique, it's something that came from you, the entrepreneur, and to me that's awesome. And so that means that we have to, as, as a company at SEO, we have to be able to extract the greatness from it. Uh, in our specific case, uh, we had a client in our early days of our company, uh, a guy named Mike. And Mike came to us, um, you know, he had a lot of corporate experience and sales and raising money and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I want to build an app that helps people uh, staff nurses more effectively because there's apparently a huge 
issue with staffing nurses at hospitals and managing their time and finding new ones, et cetera. So it's essentially like an online recruitment platform. Uh, and we did a little bit of research. As any entrepreneur should, we went and validated the idea. We found out that wasn't really that huge of a problem. And there wasn't that much market demand for it. And the likelihood of that being crazy successful probably was unlikely. In fact, the idea was called Shift Finder at the time. Um, and even that, we had, you know, communicated with the client that maybe this wasn't the best direction to take. It's not a bad idea, but maybe it's not the best idea it could be. And so we apply something in SEO regularly called a pivot analysis, kind of like what we talked about earlier. Pivots are so important. It doesn't matter if you think you have the best idea in the world, try to make it better. Uh, because no idea is complete, and it never is complete. You can constantly be refining and making things a little bit stronger and a little bit greater every day. Uh, so with ShiftFinder, it underwent an entire company transformation. ShiftFinder became Ondi. Ondi became this really cool app, um, again, that you'll see released in late 2018. Uh, basically what it does is it allows on-demand workers, so like Uber, Postmates, et cetera, uh, to be able to find essentially the most viable jobs based off their geographic location and interests. So say, for example, I am looking to make some money on the side in the gig economy, and uh, I'm like, well, I could just go sign for Uber, or you can come to Andy. Andy's great, because what Andy does is it'll take your location, it'll analyze every single on-demand job in the nearby area, it'll analyze the demand for all those on-demand jobs based off historical data analysis, and then it'll say to you, you should actually, instead of Uber, you should be driving for Postmates because Postmates can make you an extra $20 a day. And then right there in the app, you say, okay, you can sign up to be a Postmates driver all within one application. Before you know it, you're driving for Postmates. Oh, and by the way, if it so happens that there's another on-demand job in the area that ends up being more profitable for you than Postmates, we'll notify you right there and you can quickly submit an app switch right over very nice very nice amazing how the idea started from nurses all the way to on man on demand uh, jobs that's what we do at CEO. What an incredible transformation yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the, and we were able to have a great relationship with our client Mike um, again a friend of ours we're friends with everybody we work with and we mm -hmm. really believe in that um, because who wants to just work with someone you want to become friends with someone that's you want to have true. a beer with someone you want to get to know their family and their kids it's much more interesting makes the relationship last a lot longer mm -hmm. uh, and most importantly we're just a relationship driven company. We were built out of relationships and we will die with relationships. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so you mentioned to me how entrepreneurs tend to be too product focused and not process focused mm. and philosophical. Tell me what you mean by this. What I mean by it is that most people want to build a product and not a business, you know? And I think the first step is recognizing how you create a business long before you even think about the product. Typically when someone has an idea, they rush right to, let me turn it into an app, or let me turn it into a service, or let me turn it into a piece of hardware, let me turn it into something that I can put in people's hands. But you miss a million steps along the way when you do that. Typically what you find yourself missing is number one, does the world need this idea? Is this actually something that's gonna solve a legitimate problem? It's the biggest question to ask yourself. Number two, will people pay me money for this thing? If it does come to life, will people listen and hear what I'm saying, and number two, are they gonna take money out of their own personal bank accounts and put it into mine? Number three is, okay, let's assume that they will. Let's assume people are willing to listen to us. Let's assume people will pay. Well, how do we strategize to actually get this thing in front of them and get them to pay for it? We know they will, but now we have to convince them that it's worth it, right? So it's the first question of like the willingness to pay and then actually telling them, you know what? You, you do need to pay for it. I know that you want to, but now it's time to do it. Uh, and then the last component is you have to make it pretty. 
people are visual creatures. They respond to things that are generally aesthetically pleasing. It's just a natural instinct. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a huge believer that every great team needs a great designer to back them up and they need a great creative leader because uh, as many business strategists in the world can come together and all pursue one thing, but nobody's gonna want it if it doesn't look cool. Mm -hmm. Totally agree, needs to be user-friendly. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it needs to become sexy. I mean, we mm -hmm. live in a society now where everything is visually appealing. Graphic designers are left and right, from watching ESPN to playing around with Apple's UI to seeing uh, the insides of so many applications we use, Lyft, Uber, Postmates, all the ones I just mentioned, too. Um, you need to have something that can, can really touch someone beyond just its functionality. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be delivered through creative communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nowadays with all the technology, we have so much capability uh, to create uh, truly aesthetically pleasing images and videos. And look at all the motion picture effects that we have now. Sure. I don't even know how they make half of those yeah, things. Know, like, right? like Avatar, look at Avatar. Like, right? How do they make that? Exactly. <laughs> Took them years. But yeah. yeah, we have all this technology that... It's, it's almost, it's starting to become competitive now. You, when you put a product out there, it has to look good because look at what you're competing against. And honestly, on that note, it is the greatest way to differentiate yourself from competitors. If you have the identical product to a competitor, first step is, like you said, make it more user-friendly, make it prettier mm -hmm. at its core level. Those are easy ways to separate. Yeah, you can add other functionality features, you can market it better, blah, 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 blah. But if it just simply works better, people are gonna be attracted to mm -hmm. it. As entrepreneurs, we have so many great figures to look up to, such as Steve Jobs or Ariana Huffington. Who do you look up to or admire in the startup world? That's such an easy, easy question to answer. Um, but it's funny because I find myself having a really similar answer, and I think it's ebbed and flowed for a long time. And I think still a huge prominent force is Elon Musk. Um, it's hard to not look up to Elon Musk. He, he has literally impacted some of the most integral and important systems in our society. That's super cool. Uh, but I'm also a huge, huge fan of Reid Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, awesome podcast called Masters of Scale. Uh, he's one of those individuals who is a total retrospective uh, analysis where he actually goes back and looks on all of the great things that led him to where he is today to have the largest professional social media networking site in the world. And he says, here's how I did this all. And he goes and tells people how they did it because his goal in mind isn't like, let me just st stand on the top of the mountain for as long as I can. It's let me see how many people I can get up here with me. And so he's constantly providing knowledge, insight, you know, talks, podcasts, et cetera, around it. Uh, and I think that's so cool because there's a lot of big leaders that totally sit back with their feet up and you never know how they got to where they're at. Not Reed Hoffman. I love that about him. Mm -hmm. So right now you're operating a company called SEO, which helps entrepreneurs kind of launch their business ventures through service and software-based solutions. Yes. What is your biggest challenge so far in running SEO? Scale. No question. Uh, because we don't know what we're doing. You know, at the end of the day, and I'm comfortable saying that, like you literally have to accelerate your growth as a leader in to like a month. And most people have 20 years of experience. Well, you have to capture all that experience and all those lessons and all that knowledge and cram it into a four to eight to 12 week period. That's really hard. You know, growing as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as a communicator, as a person, these are really big challenges. Starting a business and making some money, not as hard as becoming a good person and a better person. Uh, that's been super difficult, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think not difficult because it's 
this challenge, but difficult because we are still figuring out how to overcome the challenge. Uh, but the good news is that there are resources. There are ways to figure it out. And I'm a big believer in taking a very systematic approach to everything that you do. Mm -hmm. And with something like scale, it can totally be handled. You can totally prepare for scale. But you have to put the framework and building blocks in place today mm -hmm. before you scale. In fact, if we would have done it a year ago, I would have been really happy if we actually started to think strategically about where we were going to be in a year because my life would be way less stressful and way less anxiety filled. Uh, it's time to start to take advantage of resources, of tools, of speakers, of knowledge. I think a lot of entrepreneurs live in this closed box like you were talking about. And it's not that they don't think outside the box, but their brain is always convinced that they are the best they can be. They are the number one person. They are the founder and CEO. I don't believe that. Like I said, I'm a huge proponent of this idea of self-analysis and introspection and understanding the areas of life that not only you can do better at, but the people around you can do better at. Mm -hmm. So speaking of finding things to be better at, what is uh, one area that you've struggled with personally that you've taken upon yourself to get better at? And what are some things you've learned along the way? Any epiphanies? or? Yeah, totally. I mean, this is a short answer because it's so blunt and has been so true. Uh, first answer is humility, biggest lesson I've learned. Second answer is saying I'm sorry. That's a hard thing to do for a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, it is. It's really difficult to, to look at someone and say, I made a mistake, I am sorry. And I barely ever hear entrepreneurs say it. Matter of fact, I barely ever hear people say it. But the impact that it can make on someone, when you look them in the eye and say, I actually made a mistake and I recognize that, and you kind of take down that veil of authority and you put yourself right on the same level as them, it creates these really intimate bonds and it reminds them that we're doing this all together. And by the way, if you make a mistake, I'm right here for you. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Of course. Yeah, I, I prefer that approach rather than throwing up your walls and all of a sudden becoming defensive. It, it really opens you up. In your vulnerability as a person, and and when you throw your walls down, other people will throw their That's walls down. Totally it's true. Amazing effect it has, and you don't think that's necessarily going to happen when you're thinking, oh, should I put walls up or keep walls down? But more often than not, everyone else starts to put their walls down too. Totally, and that's mm -hmm. when that happens. And it's not saying it has happened for me um, or people around me or anybody, but when it does happen, and I've seen glimpses of it, it is a very very cool thing. Mm -hmm. So how do you stay up to date on everything that's happening? There's so much noise out there in terms of content and there's groups and publications, subscriptions. Yeah. What is your way to stay up, uh, to be sharp in the mind and to stay up on everything and up to date? I mean, it's a couple different things for me. Um, I'm a big believe, believer in reading, a big believer in reading. It took me a long time to get into it. Um, now that I'm in it, I'm so passionate about it because it's objective information. It's not information that's like changing and ebbing and flowing like a Facebook post you can edit. A book is a book and a book stays that way. Uh, and that's really cool to me to have stable information. That's number one. Um, number two, I really like learning from people that I respect, um, like the Elon Musks and the Reed Hoffmans and the Tim Ferrisses and et cetera. Uh, they provide some really relevant, important, and just to the point knowledge versus again, all the noise. Uh, and then the last thing for me for sure, uh, just on a day-to-day -day basis, I love Twitter. I've always loved Twitter. Twitter's really cool to me because it provides a, just a stream of information and no algorithms behind it to say this is the information you want. It just says, you follow these people, you get this information, that's it. So if you follow the people that you feel like are delivering the most transparent, honest information, you'll probably receive transparent, honest information. Mm. And, I, and it keeps me up to date every day. Mm -hmm. I don't read huge long news articles, but I, the snippets get me along. Uh-huh. Yeah. One of the things that entrepreneurs, anyone really, but entrepreneurs in particular struggle with is how to stay productive. Uh, 
we have such big picture minds when it comes to our ideas and we got to hone it into little small steps. What are some of your favorite work tools that you can recommend to entrepreneurs to help them with their productivity throughout the day? Yeah, I mean, I think the first one that really comes to mind um, is a methodology called the two-minute prioritization test, um, where basically what you do is, first of all, you take your year goals, you break them down to quarterly goals, down to monthly goals, down to weekly goals, down to daily goals. So you always know that how your daily goal contributes to the yearly goal. That's huge. And then your days are going to be filled with a bunch of tasks. And so what I do almost every day is I go through all my tasks. I highlight the ones that if I get them done, everything beneath them will get done a lot easier. I call them my high-impact items, commonly used term. Uh, and then in terms of an actual tool that helps me manage everything, uh, the one that I love the most is called Todoist, it's T-O-D-O-I-S-T.com. Awesome task management tool, um, allows you to do a lot with it, uh, but most importantly, it's just really lightened my load. As entrepreneurs, if we add a little bit of structure under our life, all of a sudden, we have so much more room for creativity, and I think that's an entrepreneur's best place to be, is in a creative space. Of course. Yeah, I've had my days where I've just been all over the place, one idea, jumping to another idea, and so... I notice that when I start to add structure, add a little bit of routine, um, but not too much, you know, yeah. add some some room for a little creativity totally. that things just come together much more quickly. Yeah, and I think focus is huge too. Mm-hmm. As entrepreneurs, we are going to want to pursue 100 ideas, but when we really should be just pursuing one, mm-hmm. uh, and then focusing on that one and building the systems within that one. I love Elon Musk. He says, when I, I have my day structured to the point that I know which company I'm working every day, because he's an entrepreneur with a bunch of companies, and then when he goes there, he has every five minutes planned out. He's insane. That's over the top to me. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he's a bit much. But at the same time, that's what that's what has allowed him to be so great. Uh-huh. Uh, and so for me, it's just been continuously adding on different components of structure to my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, being an entrepreneur is not just professional, it's personal. So I have to carry that structure into my personal life as well, mm-hmm. um, which has helped me with all the things that you don't get time for in entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. like relationships, family, et cetera. Of course, that's a good point. Um, speaking of that, how do, you, how do you structure to create work-life balance? Honestly, at the end of the day, it's more work-life blending than anything. Uh, it's a lot less balance and a lot more togetherness because what I do professionally uh, is very fulfilling personally. And it ends up opening a lot of conversations like the one we're having today to allow them to happen. And so I'm always just looking for people in my personal life uh, who are ready to kind of discover whatever is inside them and to be that independent person they always want to be. So it's my professional life serves my personal life, but nonetheless, I do put a hard stop on my days. I do try to give my time to myself every once in a while, and uh, I think it's so necessary because we can become physically and mentally drained very quickly. Mm-hmm. Totally agreed. With CEO and even other past businesses, what is it that you found you outsourced first? Financial and legal stuff. Honestly, just on a really operational level, you rarely can find a young person who is a great lawyer or a great CFO. You probably need to find someone with more experience. Uh, And so that's where I started um, when I started a couple of different companies. And then with CO over time, we've been able to capture like an in-house attorney. We have an awesome uh, financial advisor who provides us a lot of direction. But, you know, those are costly roles to fill. So it's always easier to outsource them. Mm. And what would you never outsource? In other words, keep in-house or do it yourself? Vision. No question. <laughs> I don't think you can outsource vision. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can, but that yeah. would be an interesting job title. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a, uh, the job title of being a visionary would be a really interesting one. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, what, what I would never outsource um, probably would be leadership, honestly. Uh, because I think that of great entrepreneurs, like it's hard for them to accept the fact that they would need to report to someone else. 
Uh, and so it would be weird to say to a founding team, especially an early stage, later stage founding team, different story, early stage founding team, to say, like, this is your new boss. Well, that kind of kills the entrepreneurial spirit. I do believe that over time, um, outsourcing things like a chief operations officer is really important because operational infrastructure is not easy to build and it requires a lot of experience. Uh, but in terms of management, I think you, it'd, be, it'd be a hard thing to outsource. Mm-hmm. And it's something fun to learn more than anything. Mm-hmm. Talking of the future, what are your big plans? Where do you plan to take CO? Or perhaps there's a plan after CO currently in the making? Yeah, I don't know if there's a plan after CO just yet because CO has allowed me to shape a lot of who I want to be personally. So I don't know if I see a life post CO just yet. Um, but with CO, we do see some really cool things coming. And I think it's global domination. <laughs> no, global impact more than anything. Uh, you know, we had the opportunity to do a couple cool things last year. We were able to get team members of ours who are now in Sweden and London and in Malaysia, um, in Texas, in New York. So we're spreading our reach, which is huge. And I do it through things like this, through talking to people like you, because I want people to hear our message and hopefully have it empathize with them. Uh, and then in addition to that, Uh, We had an opportunity last year to actually travel to Malaysia and to go speak to an international community of entrepreneurs. So for me, it's all about how can I take all these incredible practices that I have here in little old Southern California uh, and expand them to anyone that might need them because I believe what we've built is something that can be very personally fulfilling if it's executed. And so currently you're in Orange County, uh, which is in Southern California. Do you feel it's the right place to be right now, or do you feel like there's really no borders to your business? Both. I mean, I love Orange County for a lot of reasons, um, and I would never be the one to say Orange County is not the place to be, because it's beautiful, there's less traffic, it's way better than LA for a lot of reasons. Um, But in terms of entrepreneurship, Orange County is a long way to go, you know? LA and Silicon Valley innovated and grew and did some really special things, and now we're seeing it a bit in San Diego too. Orange County, doesn't necessarily have something that it's known for just yet. Mm-hmm. San Diego's known for its biotech. LA is known for its, its entertainment and content production. Silicon Valley is known for its innovation and technology. Orange County is not sure what it wants to be yet. Mm-hmm. And I think that lack of identity can sometimes be demotivating. Uh, but at the same time, our big mission has always been like, let's make Orange County the sexiest and most fun startup community ever. Uh, and we've been able to make a lot of impact there, including at the incubator that we're based out of. So there is growth there, but. Um, there's always something beyond. And I don't think any team wants to stay in one place forever. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. (laughs) As entrepreneurs, we are avid problem solvers. What are some major problems that California you think is looking to solve? And do you have any plans on being a part of the solution or worked with startups who are? Yeah, definitely. So we've worked with a lot of social impact entrepreneurs who are focused on uh, solving environmental degradation problems. Uh, They're doing it through a lot of different means, whether it be um, plant-based food production, whether it be uh, the decrease of agricultural degradation, which is a huge contributor to the overall environmental problems that we're facing today. Um, And then in addition to that, I mean, I think that the biggest problem that we're going to face here in California and really globally uh, is automation at scale. Because once automation really kicks off, there'll be a ton of jobs that are lost. A lot of low-level jobs, accountants, low-level marketers, blue-collar workers, the whole thing. And so for us, that is our mission in a nutshell. We want to say these people who are going to be jobless, this is inevitable. There is, it's factual. There's no question about it. Uh, we want to say to those people, hold on. It's okay because I know you're smart. I know you've seen problems before. I know you know how to solve them. So here's this cool CEO platform. Bring whatever that expertise or idea is to us. Put it through our journey and let's see what we can do by the end. Oh, very good. Nice. 
What does Southern California need more of? That's a great question. What does Southern California need more of? I think Southern California at the end of the day needs a little bit less focus on, and this is an individual comment, but really a comment across the whole state, a little less focus on me and a little more focus on them. Uh, I'd love to see more people get out and try to impact others. More people try to provide platforms for people who are underserved. More people to go and feed the homeless if you really want to get down to a base level. Uh, I believe that LA is known for being a very self-centered culture. Uh, and it's not the case across the board. I meet a lot of awesome people in LA. But I do meet a lot of people who aren't seeing beyond the, con- the confines of Los Angeles. Uh, and it's time to think a little bigger. It's a globalized mm-hmm. economy. It's a globalized world. Let's think beyond the box. Mm-hmm. And what do you think Southern California needs less of? Probably less of all the things I just talked about, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Uh, probably less self-centered people, a less focus on the stars, and a more focus on the ground. And what I mean by that is I think we're constantly looking up to these incredible influencers and the Brad Pitts and et cetera, and all these things that we think we want to be, but do we really want to be them, or is that just society telling us that's what we should be? Uh, And I think we need a little bit more focus of looking down, focusing on how we can be better as individuals. And most importantly, I and I will continue to stress this, how we can take whatever we're really good at and let other people know and make them really good at that, too. Obviously, you're having a big impact on the lives of entrepreneurs. How else are you paying it forward in life? Well, at the end of the day, CEO is an entirely mission driven organization. Our goal when we started CEO was to inspire independence innovation and entrepreneurship and like I said in everything that people do Uh, so we've gotten a bunch of cool opportunities we worked with an organization called Girls Inc uh, which helps to build young women into strong smart and bold individuals Um, we provided a ton of support for them in uh, summer of 2017 we've gotten to work with this incredible group of young entrepreneurs from Orange High School which is a small and somewhat underserved high school in Orange County and lo and behold it turned out that these kids did have that inner entrepreneur in them and they wanted to start something so now we're in the process of building a really cool app with them called Present. Uh, Present allows students to check into high school classes, receive points for doing so, redeem those points for rewards. It's an incentivization system for high school attendance, and that's been a thing we're super proud of. Like I said, we went to Malaysia and worked with the population out there, which was awesome, booming entrepreneurial economy, uh, and we've done tons of things beyond that. I think this year we will continue to have an awesome impact in the space of entrepreneurship and people individually in terms of finding their path, Uh, but we're constantly paying it forward. If I wasn't paying it forward every day, uh, I would lack so much motivation in what I do. Mm -hmm. I need to pay it forward. I think people, at least nowadays in in our generation particularly, are all about having the other component of business, meaning the social impact or environmental impact, Definitely. having some kind of um, purpose beyond the just the bottom line, the mission for the bottom line, yeah. which I think is, is so important because it Absolutely. really broadens your reach and your, and your impact in, in this world and allows you to really leave a legacy. And it attracts people to you. Mm-hmm. more than anything. Oh, definitely. The reason that I joined CEO um, as the second or third, I've always argued about that, uh, person on the company was because of the fact that what CEO is trying to do in the world is something I'm trying to do in the world. So if you can align your personal and professional missions together, you will never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Kyle, for sharing your story. If our listeners wanted to check you out, where would they go and how would they get in touch if they wanted to connect? 
So that's easy. Uh, you can head on over to SIEO.io, CEO.io, and check out our website. Uh, you can go to any of our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. It's all SIEOAppCOAPP. Uh, you can find me all around the web too, but the easiest way to get in touch with me uh, is just to email me. And I'm one of those people who will feel totally comfortable putting my email out over a podcast because I want people to reach out. This is what I do for a living. So you can find me at Kyle at CEO.io. Send me a message. Send me an email. Let's get in a phone call. Let's work. Let's build. Let's discover that, other, that inner entrepreneur within you. Uh, and let's recognize that this world will be better if you're willing to make it better. Kyle is all about building those relationships, so I hope you will build a relationship with him soon. Thank you, Kyle, for sharing your entrepreneurial journey with us and showing that learning and failure are a part of the journey and are truly stepping stones in your next venture. Absolutely. Thanks so much.